We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The people's holiday is upon us once more. We're going to get to your mailbag questions as, uh, as well as a Alabama series preview as the Rebels face a uh, vitally important home series against the Crimson Tide this weekend. We'll talk rotation and some other stuff. I recorded with Colin Brister on Wednesday night. Um, that was before the rotation was announced with Colin. Both of our schedules, that was just the way it worked out this week. Um, I'm actually coming at you live uh, on the road. I'm down at the, uh, at the uh, beach for a close friend's wedding. Shout out William Mayo. Um, so I am, uh, I was flying in last night to, uh, to Florida. So anyway, we talked about the rotation before it was announced, assuming it would be the same. I'll get some thoughts at the top. So I think that's why we're going to get to your mailbags questions first before our Alabama series preview. Um, so we'll hit that and then Colin and I will get into Ole Miss Alabama. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. March Madness is over. We sleep in May, as John Rothstein said. Skybox never sleeps. They've got their baseball model in the works. That's dropping in May. They've got NBA playoffs coming up, packages. You've got uh, NASCAR rolling along, all kinds of great stuff going on at Skybox. You need to check them out. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, whether that's month-long. If you want to go for a full season, you can go all sports, sports-centric. Whatever the case may be, I recommend just going with the full year-round all-access pass for Skybox. It's going to pay for itself and then some because Skybox is the only people in the industry that are going to lead you to profit consistently, especially more so than your own dumb brain. We're never going to profit in the long run doing this off our own knowledge. You need the professionals. Just pay Skybox. It's an investment. They're going to make you money in the long run. I can promise you that. And you are going to be texting your bookie more often asking if, where your uh, supplementary income is whether than, rather than have him text you on a, you know Sunday night, Monday morning, ask if you can square up. That just amplifies the scaries. No one wants that. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E. And that'll get you 20% off and let them know that we sent you. Skyboxsportspicks.com. The podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. 
Go see Greg there in Oxford if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week. Side note, just once this week, I uh, had a couple – this trip kind of threw a wrench in things, and I was trying to get out an uh, Alabama scout and Alabama preview and all that and just wasn't able to get it done. But I think the podcast covered it, but we'll be back to more normal newsletter content next week. Anyway, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, it's rippywrights.substack.com. You get the newsletter, and then you get – discounted meats right now it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a five dollar pack of sausage that's one hell of a way to kickstart your weekend just go into lb's show greg proof of subscription and uh, you're all set you're good to go then go find all your own favorites whether that's wagyu cuts all kinds of delicious sausages lane train special bacon wrap filet fresh seafood i like the filet burgers all kinds of delicious stuff there as you heard if you listened to the grill corner podcast a couple weeks ago was that last week oh, it's all running together um, Greg is going, whatever you want, Greg can help you get it. He either has it or he can get it for you. Greg really is like a specialty kind of uh headhunter in terms of the meats. He's a man of the exquisite taste, but if you want something, he is, he can get it for you. He wants to make your grilling experience great. That's why they've been in business for almost two decades with, uh, some bum ass butcher shop in Kroger across the street. So how about that? We declared war on Kroger again. Check him out. LB's university Avenue there in Oxford. Okay, we're going to hit your mailbag questions first before we get to the Alabama series preview, just because a couple of them were rotation-centric. And obviously, as I mentioned, Colin and I were not able to get our uh, thoughts out regarding uh, Ole Miss's weekend rotation after Mike announced it. So there was a change, I guess is what I'm saying. They, uh, they, they're going with Hunter Elliott, TBA, TBA. So Dylan DeLucia throws six innings of six and two-thirds or six and a third of one run three-hit baseball last week, and is not your Friday guy again. So we'll get into that. I'll just dive into the questions, and we'll kind of see where that takes us. And then we'll do the preview based off Wednesday night. And we talked a little bit about that Southern Miss game on Tuesday that Ole Miss lost that no one was allowed to watch. Let's go. Here we go. Mailbag Friday. It is the people's holiday. LFG Shirts is our leadoff hitter. Better run. The late 90s slash early 2000s Ole Miss hoops or 2013-2015 Ole Miss football. Oh, man. That's actually a really good question. I am going to go late 90s, early 2000s Ole Miss hoops because in that run, you had a sweet 16 appearance in there. And given the building they played in, the way basketball is funded at Ole Miss, I think that run of four NCAA tournaments in five years. So you got to think about this. Think about Ole Miss basketball making the NCAA tournament 97, 98, 990102 with the sweet 16 appearance in there. So that's actually five tournaments in six years. Yeah, that is absolutely this is the more and more I think about this, and you gotta remember I'm a uh, born in 95, kind of younger millennial, so I wasn't like cognizant for a lot of this. But the more and more I think about it, that's by far the more, more impressive run. There's a sweet 16 appearance in there. And look, I know it was all, I believe it was all first round exits. No, second round. Sorry, they uh they made the second round in 99 lost to one seed Michigan State. I think that's the more impressive run because if you think about Ole Miss football from 2013 to 2015, what did that actually end up as? I know they beat Alabama twice. I know they were ranked in the first ever college football playoff rankings, but what did that actually get you? Like that you had a what? You had a 10 and 3 year with the Sugar Bowl in 2015, 9 and 4 in 14, and then whatever they were 8 and 5 in 13. Again, I'm not doubting that the, that whole Hugh Freeze run took Ole Miss football to heights it had not seen in quite some time. But 
those teams kind of fizzled down the stretch. And I don't think that 2014 was completely beat up. And that 2015, obviously, you had the fourth and 25 that cost them the West. But there was no real tangible um, tangible postseason heights achieved that the program had not achieved before. I know they made a Sugar Bowl in 15. But the Sugar Bowl from the 60s and 70s is not the same thing as the 2015 Sugar Bowl. The 2015 Sugar Bowl was an access bowl just like the Cotton Bowl is or the Peach Bowl or whatever. So it's not that it's not impressive. It's just not that like everyone puts so much weight on the Sugar Bowl because it has so much history and it's so synonymous with Ole Miss. And I don't mean to damp put a damper on the accomplishment itself, but it's not like it, it again. It's just not the same. And so I'm going. I'm going five NCAA tournaments in six years as absolutely a much better run, um, particularly given that they played in that rocket ship of a tad pad, what basketball kind of is and means at Ole Miss, that is absolutely the more impressive run. Kyle Wilson checking in here. What type, a type of scandal would it take to wreck Alabama football? Uh, I don't know. Maybe some free Funky's pizza, kid going deer hunting on someone's land, sleeping on a coach's couch. That's the kind of stuff that you cannot have in this sport. I don't know. I don't think anything's going to wreck Alabama football. I think it's a machine. I think it's a moneymaker. I think it's probably the greatest dynasty we've ever seen in the history of the sport. And with NIL and all that, unless you're really, really, really stupid, there's nothing that's going to wreck you now. Like, I do think someone is going to be singled out for doing NIL wrong, and the NCAA is going to – look, I know they're going for a pound of flesh with LSU, but you got to remember that's pre-NIL stuff. So in the context of me, I think the NCAA is going to punch back on NIL one big time. I think they're going to make an example out of one or two programs for doing NIL wrong. And what do I mean about doing NIL wrong? We've talked about it a lot on this podcast and I'm actually working to get kind of an NIL expert on the show here in the coming weeks um, about how like different the rules are, how vague the rules are, how kind of unenforceable the rules are uh, with NIL. And it's kind of the wild west, but there are quote unquote rules in place. And I do think the NCAA is going to, swing back at someone and kind of try to at least give some sort of guys that they can enforce this, even though they really can't. And they're going to make an example out of one or two programs. I don't think it's going to be Alabama. And I think you're going to have to be really, really, really stupid to be one of those two programs. You're going to have to do something fairly blatantly uh, to allow the NCAA to kind of have the power to do that over you. Because you think about it, pre-NIL handled the correct way. The NCAA was kind of rendered powerless. If you think of the Miami debacle even I know Penn State was a much different thing, but those sanctions didn't stick. North Carolina had guys taking fake classes, and that didn't stick. The only reason Ole Miss got popped, well, not the only reason, one of the main reasons is because their leadership handled it terribly. Exemplary cooperation, tell our side of the story. You guys know all the buzzwords, all the cliches. That's really one of the main reasons Ole Miss got hit. So in order to be popped by NAL, again, like I keep reiterating, you're going to have to be really dumb about it, and you're going to have to be really brazen. And I think there's going to be a school or a program that is brazen and dumb about it. It's not going to be Alabama, to answer your question. So uh, maybe a meteor? is that could, could that wreck Alabama football? Does that count as a scandal? That seems more of like a natural disaster. Or Is, it, is a meteor natural? doesn't matter. We're rambling this morning. All right, anyway, Luke Falter is checking in here. Missed you last week. My bad. What's your go-to wing flavor, favorite style of barbecue? Oh, we got a bunch of these. We'll just roll through them. Awesome. Appreciate the questions, my God. Favorite wing flavor? Hmm. I'm kind of a honey barbecue guy. I know that's kind of weak. Um, at least I've been told it is in the past. I like I like the habanero, and then I like the old-fashioned kind of like buffalo wing. Um, 
So I'm not really particular on that. I don't love like a lot of the lemon pepper type stuff and kind of that like drier rub type wing, if that's even a proper barbecue uh, wing term. I'm more on the uh, kind of the wet, I guess like sweeter side of the uh, wing spectrum there. And then I like bone-in wings better, but I'm not going to get into a boneless bone-in wings debate. I got into one at work the other day. And people and like it's the classic. Well, boneless wings are just chicken nuggets. I'm like, yeah, sure. But if the place you're at, like Buffalo Wild Wings, has crappy bone-in wings, I'm probably just going to eat the breaded chicken nugget because it tastes better. Sue me. So anyway, favorite uh, favorite style of barbecue: Memphis, North Carolina, Texas, Kansas City. How about this? I I see this all the time. This this whole argument dominates the internet. Um. How about just all of them? I enjoy all of them. They're all different. Texas barbecue, the brisket and the burnt ends and all that is absolutely fantastic. I think the Memphis barbecue is good. Um, I guess if you're giving me an overrated, uh, if you made me pick an overrated one, I don't love the Memphis. I think it tastes fine. Um, and then North Carolina, Kansas City, to be honest, I'm sure I've had both before. I just haven't had it frequently uh, enough. What's your bedtime work week? Um, I'd like to tell you like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, but honestly with kind of the day job thing, doing the newsletter and the podcast, I'm working on about anywhere from about 10.30 to midnight and then back up at 5.30 schedule. So uh, credit to me for uh, working too hard and caring too much and being too much of a perfectionist. Um, let's see. Favorite domestic beer? Coors Light. I think that uh, most people that know me uh, know that is probably uh, – my go-to to a fault. I uh, I had dinner with Chase the other night at a pretty nice steakhouse in Dallas, and uh, it was Coors Lights all the way. Um, that is more of a uh, lack of a palate thing. I love craft beer. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I don't want to say I'm an IPA connoisseur, um, and I'm not going to go that granola on you, but I do love a good craft beer. I like kind of exploring local beers uh, wherever I go. I uh, found a great one, great couple in Cincinnati. Shout out Mad Tree Brewing, the psychopathy of grand favorite of mine tons in the little rock area don't love the texas local beers as much they're okay there's some i found to be all right but none that i just love but uh if we're going domestics it's uh coors light all the way i could probably drink miller light i think bud like tastes like absolute uh urine not in the literal sense i don't know what urine tastes like but i cannot drink bud light love the pods man appreciate it appreciate the questions man thanks for tuning in masters picks after round one truly billy checks in and asks I'm going to go with my guy, Sung J.M. I'm sure if you guys listen to the Oxford Exxon podcast, Chase has told you this story before. If you'll remember in 2018, the Corn Ferry Tour, which I believe was actually still web.com back then, had an event in Oxford. The event only lasted one year. I believe it was only like 54 or 63 holes. I believe the final round was either nine holes or got rained out entirely. Um, actually, an old, old tour veteran named Eric Axley, left-hander, won the tournament. Um, but it was only a one and done. They kind of had some funding problems, no title sponsor, but those corn fairy events, if you don't have a title sponsor, that event is not lasting very long. They are always, they already move around enough. They're fickle in that sense. And it was just never going to last. Anyway, that's not the point. We got a media spot in the pro-am. So there was a media team in the Wednesday pro-am and our player was Sung JM. And <laughs> he was like 20 years old at the time. He may not have even been 20. I want to say he was like 19. He had won in the Bahamas earlier that year and then like had like a, T1, a T2 and a T4 in the tournaments after that. So if you know how the Corn Ferry season works, if you win early in the year and you post another top five, you know, congrats on getting your tour card. You're really just playing out the, the rest of the season to, one, make money and try to gain that top spot because the top guy, like one through 25 that earned their PGA Tour card on the Corn Ferry Tour, 
are not created equal. Like the number one guy is fully exempt into everything that's not invitational. So you're playing out the rest of the year for that number one spot. So some Jay set, he's this 19 year old kid. He shows up. He doesn't speak a lick of English, like not like beyond like, hello, kind of like nod, nothing. And he'd been set up with this caddy at the time who was like, I think trying to become his permanent caddy. And the caddy didn't speak Korean. Sung Jay didn't speak English. And then they, so they were talking to the manager who was like kind of the mediator between the two and the manager knew nothing about golf. And it was just kind of a hilarious dichotomy, but it also kind of outlined the challenges for foreign players, particularly younger foreign players to kind of come make it over on the American PGA tour, because, you know, I love Oxford to death. Don't get me wrong, but that corn Ferry tour slate, you're not actually always going to the glamorous city, glamorous cities like Lake Charles, Shreveport, Evansville, Indiana, Oxford. Like, can you imagine being a kid from South Korea trying to navigate all that at 19? Anyway, it was, but there was a funny part of it about the third hole in Oxford's really, really hilly. And that's probably another reason it wasn't necessarily conducive to a corn fairy event. Like you can't walk it. It's an unwalkable course, Oxford Country Club. So Sung Jay wants a ride and he hops on the back of our cart and I like immediately jump out. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'll hop on the back pal. Like you ride up here at the front. And he was, he kind of like nodded like, no, 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 you sit. And I was like, no dude, if you get hurt, we're in big trouble. If I get hurt, people are just going to laugh at me. Please sit down. So he seemed like a nice dude. We met his mom afterward, if I'm not mistaken. I think both of his parents. Anyway, nice kid. I'm rooting for my guy, Sung Jay. Hell of a talent. Um, so Sung Jay M is my pick to win the Masters. I know I really went out of the limb there because he's the leader after round one. Now, to the main course, Stanley checks in on Twitter. Please explain Delusia not starting on Friday. I cannot comprehend it. Yeah, okay, so cannot comprehend it is – kind of where I went when I uh when I first saw this I just I'm covering Mike Bianco for five years I've learned to not necessarily always ask why I've learned to ask I wonder what he's thinking which is kind of two different versions of the same thing but they are different because I think a lot of times asking why with Mike is a fool's proposition because he has his own way he's going to do things his way whether you like it or not that's just kind of the way he's always been it's made him one of the most successful coaches in college baseball I know people don't necessarily want to hear that, but it is. He's built a great program. And we can talk about the lack of postseason success in Omaha and all that. Y'all know where I stand on that. I understand both sides of the argument. But it's worked for him. But sometimes it's a fault, too, and he can be stubborn. This is not even a necessarily example of either thing I just outlined. I think it's Mike bordering on overthinking, but also trying to do whatever he can to get through a weekend no, like given the opponent, not necessarily, hey, this let's find a rotation and go with it. He, I really think he's looking at this as let's get through a weekend by any means possible and let's see if we can get four or five innings out of every one of our starters like they did last week in Kentucky and just do that on a weekend and week out basis. I think after the Tennessee series and now the further and further away we get from that, it looks more like Tennessee's just going to destroy everyone and that was – uh, more a product of the opponent than necessarily Ole Miss that doesn't excuse it. And it also, I think, you know, I, I think the pitching rotation was unsustainable regardless. I think Tennessee just put a gigantic exclamation point on how bad Ole Miss's rotation is. And I think it really got so bad that Mike is trying to do, trying to look at it from a different way than he's ever looked at it. And you'll hear Colin and I talk about it in a second before we knew what the rotation was. We thought it was going to be the same. And I said, if there's going to be a difference, it might be in the middle somewhere with Elliott. But I also, like, I was kind of going down the road, and I didn't want to fully commit to it. 
But I was also kind of hinting at the fact that, hey, he did mention that this is going to be based off matchups each weekend, and it's going to be based off the opponent, their lineup, what they're doing on the mound, how they've hit at the plate, and a number of different factors. And so just because they had success last weekend, I wasn't totally convinced it would be the exact same. I thought it might be. And what do you know? It, it wasn't. And so I'm not going to necessarily question it. The concern I would have with it is you just had a guy in Dylan Delusia that went out and got you six and a third innings and pitched his ass off. It's the best start by anyone in an Ole Miss uniform all year. Sands, as bad as he's been since John Gaddis against uh, UCF in game two, can't be discounted. That was a masterful performance. But so you have that guy and he does that. And then you don't put him back on Friday. Like, what is if you're doing Delusia? What is that? What is that like? What kind of message does that send? Does that send like, yeah, that was great, but it was Kentucky, and I don't really trust you. I, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't necessarily know if that's a concern. I'm not in their clubhouse. I'm not in the locker room. I have no idea. That would be my one concern with it. But maybe it's just Dylan Delusia goes on Saturday, and they just feel that that's a better matchup, and then you get Washburn on Sunday again. I don't know. But in terms of answering your question and kind of putting a bow on that, please explain why Delush is not starting on Friday. If that's the way you asked it, I believe. I can't. I can't explain it. I don't know what Mike's thinking. I'm trying to figure out what he's thinking. And one reason I can try to get outlined to you, as best I can tell, the nine or ten regulars Alabama uses offensively, it, it does include three left-handers and two switch hitters. Does that – you know, does that make you think that Mike wants to go lefty-lefty? I don't know the two guys' splits. Um, as far as switch hitters, maybe they're better from the right side of the plate. I'm just trying to make a hypothetical case here. I, I Hand up, I have not looked into their numbers. And so I think that's a possibility. Is there a chance that he wants to get the lefty out there first against a lineup that's hit right-handed pitching better without knowing Alabama's splits? But with three lefties potentially in the lineup, two switch hitters, seems like there could be something there. So I don't really know. But until, you know, it was so bad. And then it worked last weekend in terms of Ole Miss, kind of how they outlined their rotation. The uh, I don't know if you'd call it innovative, but the creative way that Mike went about it. And uh, thinking outside the box, until it doesn't work, I'm not going to kill him for it. Um, just because I think that would be a foolish proposition. Because you're only one weekend removed from it being a total disaster. One of the things I wrote in the newsletter a lot over the last two weeks is I'm not going to crush him for an idea because right now there are no bad ideas. And I think that's still the case despite Ole Miss having success against a pretty decent Kentucky lineup. So I'll be interested to see if Delusia starts and where he starts this weekend. But, um, you know, again, until I kind of see it play out through the weekend, I'm not going to kill the guy for it. Weird internet names checking in here. If this team is going to go through the – is this team just going through the motions like last year, given the fact that Bianco tried to leave them for LSU? That is the only way I can justify the lack of emotion, focus, consistently, consistency, focus and consistency from this squad. Just hard to believe a team this talented can play so poor. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that theory. I can't tell you what they think about Mike potentially going to LSU. Can't. I, I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. I have a couple theories. Um, but I don't know, and I don't think that's a major thing right now. I think they're just a little banged up, and I think they're just not playing very well. It's a team that shouldn't be as bad defensively as they are. I don't really understand that one. And, you know, Colin and I hit a little on this a little bit at the end of our uh, preview. It's a team that kind of has an unwarranted sense of confidence. They haven't beaten anyone good. And so 
I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I don't necessarily put it on Mike going to interview for LSU last year. I'm not saying that what, he, what Mike doing, like Mike doing that was fine. I don't think in game, in season, the team in, in, that's in their back of their mind every day. I don't. Um, so I don't know what the deal is, but, um, you know, look, Southern Miss is a good team and Brandon Johnson had a bad night. And with the season, the season kind of outlook the way it is, the kind of Omaha or bust the dynamics of this season, every loss is going to be amplified, but like Southern Miss is a host and Ole Miss had that game one. And I'm not making excuses for the midweek loss by any stretch of the imagination, but like, I think the closer just had a bad night. And if they'd have won the game, everybody would be feeling really good about themselves going into Alabama. And if they get to this weekend, guess what? It doesn't matter. Uh, that's not true. It does matter. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear Colin and I mention that in a minute. Um, but it just it doesn't matter. Um, it won't matter in the long run um, if they get to this weekend. So, let's see. Poor Man's Taft asks, the year is 2027. Your name is Little Norleco. What events led to this? Poor man's Taft is checking in here every week. He's always good for a uh, a nice brain tweezer teaser. I don't even know where to start. Um, I'd like to know your state of mind when you submitted this question. Not hating, just curious. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what events led to this. Nuclear war. Um, that's probably poor timing to mention nuclear war. How about an apocalypse? There we go. Cal Crawford checks in here. Pick both to boost morale. Okay, so pick pick a morale boost here. One, option one, a motivational speaker to get the Ole Miss baseball team pumped up for the remainder of the season. Two, a comedian to speak to Ole Miss baseball and help take the edge off. I'm not around the team anymore. I'll turn this into a serious answer, and I'll go neither. Um, I don't actually – I don't hate this question at all either. I just – I'll uh, – to actually turn this into kind of a legitimate thought, I don't, I'm going to go neither. I'm not around the team anymore. I don't know what their mindset is on a day-to-day. Not that I would really know, but you can kind of get a better sense of what's going on when you're standing, you know, 15, 20 feet or 20 yards outside of the huddle sometimes after post games and things like that. Like you can tell on nights whether Mike ripped them or, you know, just kind of said uh, that's baseball or blah, blah, blah. You get the point. I don't have the same pulse as I used to. But I'm going to go neither. I would get someone in there to tell them, like, hey, you guys haven't done anything yet. And, like, you know, maybe stop chirping former players when you beat Kentucky on the road. Like, what, what, what is the deal here? Like, it's, if you're not humbled by Tennessee, I can't help you. And I'm not saying they haven't. Look, it's still all fine. They won two out of three last weekend. It was a good response. I still think they're a mentally tough team. But if there's something they need, my just gut would lean toward, um, how about here's your list of accomplishments as a team, and then just put up a blank whiteboard. Let's see. Did you clap when the plane landed? Oh, I was on a flight last night, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, headed to Panama City, or actually Seaside, but flew into Panama City for a wedding. Um, We're doing this live from the beach, not literally from the beach, but it's right outside my window. Um, I'm not saying I'm the greatest person in the world to go to the beach with, but I'm a huge beach guy, and many people have said that. I may not be the single greatest person ever to have gone to the beach with, but enough people have suggested it. The theory is worth looking into. I love the beach. I'm pumped to be here. I did not clap when the plane landed. Evan Foster checks in here. Best shortstop in the past decade, in your opinion. Ole Miss had some really good shortstops. Um, so my brain only goes as far back as 2013, which I believe was Austin Anderson before he moved to third. And then you went Errol. And then you went Gray. And then you went Servidio. And now you've gone Gonzalez. How about an answer here? Look, Ole Miss has had an incredible run of shortstops. Errol was really good. Kessinger was awesome. 
Gonzalez is turning into a great player and his career is not done yet. So I'm not sure this question is necessarily totally fair to him. How about, can I give you some video? How about that for an answer? The, the, what if like think of, there were parts of 2019 and I get why they didn't do it. You remember you had Kessinger at shortstop and Servideo at second. Servideo is probably the best shortstop on the team, but there's no reason in Gray's draft year to move him. And that's not a knock on Kessinger. I think Kessinger's got a chance to get up to the big leagues. I like Gray a lot. I don't mean that as any sort of slight to him by any means. Servideo is really, really awesome at times. And the fact that we never got to see that for a full 2020 season was uh, was unfortunate because uh, I like Servideo too. He, I mean, he, Gray as well, but Servideo is a really, really likable guy as well. And so I'm going to go Servideo, and uh, I'm going to hide behind the fact that we never really got to see that come to fruition either. But he was a special player. The world wants to know, did you fly first class? No, no, I am not a first class uh, flyer. Only coach for me. Bermuda, question mark, Jim Hansen asks. Uh, no, not I've been to Bermuda. Um, but no, this is, I, I stayed in the States. We kept this wedding in the States. Um, so I'm just on 30A like every other Northeast Jackson family does in the spring and summer. <laughs> uh, but no, I've been to Bermuda. Never got really behind the whole tall sock thing they got going on at Bermuda. If those of you who've been, you know what I'm talking about. It's like kind of short khaki shorts than just ridiculously long stockings. Never understood that. Never understood the $12 Coors Light there as well. And I'm talking about one beer. I get everything that has to be imported. So, uh, no. Colby Joseph Wallace. No. Bahama? No. No Bahama. Wait, is this a song? I'm being punked here. There's, someone's messing with me in the mentions. Anyway. Um, Joey Freshwater, Esquire, checking in. Congrats on the law degree, man. Uh, <laughs> Go-to snack on a plane, assuming all the regulars, peanuts, pretzels, cookie, coffee, Coke, ginger ale, adult beverage are all available. Okay. Um, I will go peanuts and a Coors Light. I like the pretzels okay. The cookies are actually kind of underrated, but I would give the pretzels a solid five out of 10. Coffee on the plane usually sucks. Uh, ginger ale is a low key one, but uh, if you're offering me the beer, I'm going to go with the, uh, the peanuts and the beer with the cookie as the close second. In NRW Witchman, NR Witchman, Reagan Witchman. I don't know. Anyway, checking in here. Will Mike Bianco make the college world series again as Ole Miss coach? Ooh, buddy. The easy and the safe answer is no. But I have this theory, this like galaxy brain theory that Mike is just never going to die. And I don't mean literally die. Well, actually, that could be the case too. Um, but like die is Ole Miss head coach. Like I just, I'll be convinced when I see it. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of halfway tongue in cheek, but I have no real like logical way of articulating that. But like the year where it makes no sense, like say this thing goes sideways over the next month and they're like, I don't know, 12 and 14 with uh what would that be 26 games or let's see 13 and 14 with a weekend to go like I, I that that would be the team that somehow makes it to Omaha and gets him a contract extension so the easy answer is no um but like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt the Mike Bianco magic I don't know how the world he's made it you know once in 22 years and still is kind of hanging around I mean I, I understand it but it's still kind of remarkable to think about from a big picture standpoint um so I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on it yet I don't I'm not ready to declare this team dead yet either even though it hasn't looked great at times. Joey Freshwater Esquire checking in again. How long can you poop on a plane before it's obvious to all the other passengers that you are pooping? I'm not the man to ask for this. I've, I don't think I've ever had that happen to me on a plane, fortunately. Um, I'm going to guess you could actually go pretty long because you don't really have long bathroom lines on most domestic flights unless I'm literally just um, just completely ignorant on how the bathroom process works on airplanes. It seems like people try to hold it 
if at all possible. And so there's not like a, like a steady flow of traffic in and out of there. So I'm going to say you could go a pretty long time. Um, now, look, if you get a person go back there while you're in there, they knock on the door, you have the awkward, oh, oh, it's, it's taken, oh, oh. And then another person tries it again. And then you hear them conversing amongst themselves, like, Jesus, get a load of this guy. How long has he been in there? Like, you know, we're going to be cleared for landing by the time this guy gets done. Then you're probably in trouble. But uh, outside of that, I actually think you could go a sneaky long time. Uh, I was about to say thanks for the question, but I don't know if I, I don't know if that one warrants it. Not a bad one, though. Colby Joseph Wallace, if a train leaves at 3 p.m. traveling 45 miles an hour and another train leaves Memphis at 4.15 p.m. traveling 30 miles an hour, who is Ole Miss's next basketball coach? What? What? I think I missed something there. I, I, I'm not going to try to read that again, but um, I think you just tried to distract me. If you're saying who is Ole Miss's next basketball coach, if that's the real question in this, um, TBA, I'd like to see the market next year. Um, you know, there's some – like it changes so much year to year. Like talk to me in February next year or even just January. I'd like to see kind of who's, who's leaving, who's kind of the hot trendy um, group of five guy – or not group of five, mid-major guy. Um, so talk to me in, uh, in January or so and we'll see. Um, but as you, if you listen to the Wednesday pod, I do think we all know where this is going. Douglas Pearson, Jackson Academy legend, checking in. MPSA throwback. That is indeed a throwback because that was before it was the MIS. MPSA. Who was your favorite J.A. Raider athlete growing up? And explain why is Bobby Peterson. Tell with it. Bobby Peterson. Shout out Bobby Peterson. Hell of a uh, – was he full, no, I, was, I was about to insult him and say fullback. I was, I think, played like tight end or something. And then defensive line. The only thing that this brought up to my mind was the infamous 2007 – People that are not from Jackson are about to absolutely roll their eyes, run off the road, and turn off the podcast. With the infamous 2007 state championship game, J.A. leads prep. Prep goes down on the final drive. The clock operator just mysteriously stops running the clock. Prep ran like five plays in a matter of like four seconds. The Mighty Raiders robbed of a state title. Still lose sleep over that. I don't know if we could file a petition. I heard that the clock operator had to go into hiding. The MPSA was never the same. It even changed names, the MIS. We'll just give it credit. That's why they changed names. They had to rebrand it with such an egregious scandal. But uh, one of the weirder football games I've ever been to. I've never seen a clock operator just conveniently when a team's trying to drive and racing against the clock in the last drive of the game, just be like, oops, forgot to start it. Oops, forgot to start it on another play. Only stuff you would only see in high school. What is just an absolute dynamite way to end the main wave of podcast questions. We do have a couple more from some different sources beyond Twitter. Here we go. Michael Martin checking in here in the DMs, I believe. I have a really good mailbag question dealing with Ole Miss basketball. All I've heard from Neil and Chase is that Kermit's staff is not SEC quality. Now one of them is going to LSU and another to NC State. So what gives? Are they bad coaches or good coaches? I'm confused. Appreciate your work, man. Enjoy the show. So I would direct you to our Wednesday podcast um, with Bracken Ray kind of outlining the uh, challenges Ole Miss is going to have to overcome losing Levi Watkins to NC State and then losing Ronnie Hamilton to LSU. What I would tell you is that when Kermit got here, he pulled Levi Watkins from Arizona State. As Bracken said, it's the only time he can remember Ole Miss pulling another Power 5 assistant to come be an assistant at their school. Levi was really, really connected. Still, I say was, is really connected. He's a dynamic recruiter, Ramella White. Um, I'm blanking on a couple of the other guys. Go down the list. Matthew Morrell, I believe, a couple others. So he was a really, really good recruiter. And Ronnie Hamilton and Win Case just weren't that connected. And so when you have that imbalance where you have one guy that's a dynamic recruiter and can actually go get you dudes and two that can't, 
then your staff is weaker. Um, it's kind of, as we outlined in the Wednesday show, kind of the, if you have three assistants, you need two that are dynamic recruiters that are getting you dudes. And the teams that have one are the teams that end up struggling and falling to the bottom of a good SEC. And the teams that have two have a chance. And that's kind of the dynamic there. And old Kermit has never had two as long as he's been there. AK kind of floated between having two and having one and back and forth. And that kind of mirrored AK's career, right? Some really good years, some not so great years, but long enough to last. Kermit's never had that. And so I hope that answers your question. Ole Miss is in a really, really, really tough spot um, in terms of basketball because they're now entering the time where all of these decisions get made as far as transfers, not all of them, most of them. And he's doing it with 66.3 less assistance than everyone else in the country, essentially. Not great. Not, not great. So, anyway, I believe that's going to do it for all of our mailbag questions. I hope I didn't miss any. Thank you guys for doing the mailbag Friday. We're going to go to the preview now. I know I normally do the preview first, but uh, I thought just doing the uh, whole Dylan Delusia thing or rotation thoughts might be a good setup into it. And uh, so, you endured mailbag Friday first. Here is Colin Brister and I on the Ole Miss Alabama preview. Uh, Keep in mind, I recorded this about 11th. 30 on Wednesday night after going to dinner with Chase. So you're talking about a man with the belly full of steak, maybe a couple Coors Lights in him, and deliriously tired. Um, not that that would read into that what you want. I'm just saying it's a normal podcast. But uh, if I sound different, that is probably why. So anyway, here's your Alabama series preview. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister, here to do our uh, annual midweek preview. You know, normally – after these midweek games, whether there's something to talk about or not, like we can kind of find something, whether it's setting up the pitching rotation or whatever, but at least from being able to watch the game, we can kind of come up with some angle. How many pitches of the game did you watch with your eyeballs? Uh, None. That would be none. In the year 2022, there was not a live stream. I couldn't even find a Facebook live. How does that? So I'm 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 with you. My uh my being here in Dallas, it might shock you. I was at zero pitches watched too. How does that happen in 2022? Uh, Actually, I'll I'll shout out to the listeners. I did a podcast with Bracken earlier today talking about basketball, and we just got on the baseball part at the beginning. A listener, feel free to explain this to me like I'm four. Have you not felt like you've watched a game at Trustmark Park that's been streamed before? Because the reason I got is that Trustmark Park doesn't allow streaming. Am I wrong or just dumb? Yeah, I think you are. Um, Now, I will say this. You have watched some games be televised there. I know the the Ole Miss and State uh, Mayor or Governor's Cup will sometimes be on SEC Network. But I do not recall a game being streamed there before. I know when Mississippi State played Southern earlier in the year, it was a big deal. Um, because it wasn't streamed. So I, I can't recall a game being streamed. I can just recall some being on TV. Okay, so that's what it was. I was actually uh, talking about that with someone else earlier tonight. So a Governor's Cup game there, that happened because it was on SEC Network and that right. whatever stupid streaming rules that Trustmark Park had. So that's why I watched it on television. But so I'll counter with this. Do you not remember back in the day when – I can't remember streaming a oh, thing back then. I, I do want to provide – On those janky TV networks, was there not so, a game there then? So so let me be very clear. They have the capability of streaming because they play the high school baseball state championships there and they stream them. So um, it's got to be a bandwidth issue, I would guess. What does bandwidth mean? We could can, we can get really – I don't know. I, I, that's the word that when it comes to internet stuff, I just say it and it sounds smart. Um but I think it means like uh, the you know a, a lot of people getting on and shutting down your system. Like 
you know, obviously not as many people are going to watch the high school baseball state championships, but I do know there are live streams um, from that stadium when, when they play the state championships there in May. I like that. Dude, bandwidth is the nice buzzword. It's like that guy, I mean, <laughs> like any sort of startup, you just throw on a vest with a short sleeve shirt and claim you're going to be the next Uber of whatever industry you're in, and boom. <laughs> Here's a million dollars worth of investment. So that was just wild to me in the year 2022. I look not to get on a college baseball rant, but you know, you and I both love the game of college baseball. In the day and age of 2022, and I get it's just probably a ballpark quirk, but it's probably not the best look in the world that you had a top 25 midweek matchup and no one could yeah, watch it on television. No like, way to watch it. I will say this: um, as someone that was driving for the first four innings of the game, um, I, I did kind of like get some nostalgia listening to DK call the game because like, growing up, that's how, that's how you had to listen to it or, or to get a picture of it at all. Um, so I just listened to DK for four, the first four innings. Well, I mean, pretty much the entire game. Um, but just in the car, I just turned him on and listened to it. Uh, it, uh, it. It started off well for the Rebels, and then there was a controversial call that I would have gone to jail over if what DK described happened happened, and I'm sure it did. Um, and then just kind of the game kind of got weird from there. I'm glad you went there because I didn't want to do the whole you young kids don't remember. I do think we have a decent amount of people that listen to the podcast that are younger than us. But back in the day, it really was kind of like that, right? Like you remember like the whole SEC network streaming thing. What year did that happen? Do you remember? Do you remember what year that became mainstream? I tried to think about that the other day and I couldn't think of it. Actually, the, the SEC network started in like July of 2014. Yeah. Um, and then after that, all that what that required was all the smaller sports um, would be would be live streamed. But if if you're uh, if you're an OG like myself, you bought Rebel Vision and and were able to watch the Rebs from like I, I mean I think they had it as early as like '04, but I think I bought it about '09. Um, but from like '05 to '07, it was it was pretty much just listen uh, listen to DK if you wanted to hear what was going on. Yeah. And so that's what's crazy about that. I'm glad you brought up the point about the SEC Network part of it because, you know, Ole Miss's last Omaha team, technically you couldn't stream them for every game no. on the SEC Network. Now, granted, no. like you mentioned, you buy the Rebel Vision, you get a good a broadcast, and you get a broadcast. If I remember that correctly, though, no slander to the folks, whomever that is, that run Rebel Vision. It's also not the same quality. As much people kind of like to dump on the uh, – Double yeah. the announcers you get for the midweek, but you throw that ESPN money in terms of camera work and other things, you, you get a higher quality product. But it's well, wild to think about like a Sykes Orvis and Austin Anderson team not necessarily being able to just flip on SEC or excuse me, the ESPN app and it just be there. Yeah. Um, and what was kind of weird about that is like I, I remember vividly um, in 2014, they went to Alabama and I would, I had to purchase like an Alabama subscription to, to be able to watch that game. I'm trying to think where else they went. I think A and M, A and M for the most part, the, uh, they they streamed for free, and then uh, Mississippi State. They didn't have to do it, but yeah, like I mean, when they would go on the road in SEC play, you couldn't just flip over and watch the other team's announcers. Back then, you had to uh, you had to buy a subscription if you wanted to be able to watch, or you just had to listen to DK on the radio. And that was eight years ago. And honestly, may have been the better business model. Hey, you're just going to pay for this every weekend <laughs> if you're a big baseball fan. But, yeah, I mean, look, in terms of, like, again, it's the Trustmark Park issue. I don't understand that. What an absolutely wild, uh, like, 
you have a double-A park for the Atlanta Braves, and there's not much streaming that can go on there. That also blew my mind, too. It honestly got sent me down a conspiracy theory rabbit hole. I started looking at the Twitter replies to old Mrs. You know, they always put out the tweets where it's like radio, live stats, whatever, stream. Yeah. When it said no stream, people under it were like replying to the people that were mad at it, and they were like, no, it's a Trustmark Park thing. And I'm like, is it really? Like, is there not some grand conspiracy? Because I refuse to believe a double-A park cannot house some streaming. If, if if I had my druthers, and, and I wish five would do this, almost would never play another game that could not be streamed. Um, a couple of years ago when the, during the COVID year, they went to East Carolina and played like two games that I couldn't watch. Yeah. Uh, and then you deal with this nonsense every year. It's just like – I think a requirement for almost baseball games is your fans should be able to watch somehow, somewhere. I don't care if it's some 48-year-old man holding up a periscope. Um and, and watching it that way. I, you, you've got to provide a way for a uh, visual concept. Oh, I'm with you. And now I'm just asking you to pick my brain at this point, but I watched a sporting event not too long ago. Maybe it was me just getting off into my degenerate ways that wasn't on TV. And some <laughs> hero, I can't remember if it was an Ole Miss baseball game or what, but decided to come up with a uh, their own homemade live stream. And the problem with that was, I think they went on Periscope when that was still a big deal at the time. Periscope's not equipped to handle like two 2,500 people that may or may not have had money on said sporting events. So that shit crashed immediately. Um, but hey, it was good for a half inning or a quarter or whatever sporting event was we were watching. Um, on a more serious note, so Ole Miss loses to Southern Miss last night, 10 to 7, in a game where they led 3 to nothing, in a game they led what? Is it eight seven seven, seven six? Seven six, yeah. And they just couldn't get the shutdown inning afterward. I've you know, yeah. in all the years we've been doing this, three, four years as we just outlined, I don't think I've ever tried to break down a game with you that we neither one of us were able to see a pitch. Yeah. But just as best you could, I listened to some of the radio broadcasts between a podcast. What did uh what did you make of this game? Um, because we're getting to this point in the season to where I mean if the message board is any indication anytime you lose a game like this it's like fire everybody this this is over with but I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and was like okay they couldn't get the shutdown inning they had some poor luck and then just Brandon Johnson had a bad night and like I don't yeah. think it's necessarily indicative of anything what are your thoughts on this loss as a whole so so uh, to be clear almost needed to win that baseball game 100%. um it was it was an RPI opportunity um your RPI almost his RPI is fine to be clear but it's a game that if you look back and you finish as the ninth and tenth seed instead of the eighth, it's like, I wonder if that one would have helped. Um, I don't – so it's so hard right now because everything is, is an indictment. I, look, as I said, Ole Miss needed to win the baseball game, but when I look at this baseball game, I don't see some underlying theme. Yes, the defense wasn't great. Obviously, you make three errors in an inning and, and you lose the baseball game. Um, off some unearned runs. I get that. But I, I still don't think Ole Miss is a horrific defensive team. Um, and like you said, Brandon Johnson had a bad night. He, he's allowed to have a bad night every once in a while. Because just, I mean, you know, it's dominant. He's Wyatt Short had bad nights. Yeah, he's a human being. Um, Wyatt Short had bad nights, you know. Um, Taylor Broadway had one bad night uh, against LSU. It just kind of happens. Um, so, I don't think there's some underlying theme. It's just Ole Miss lost the baseball game that could have really helped them from an RPI perspective. I put zero um, stock into what happened on Tuesday night into what's going to happen uh, Friday through Sunday against the Crimson Tide. Absolutely. And I think the last part of that is uh, important from a couple of different senses because multiple things are allowed to be true at once, right? As you outlined at the top of that, 
Ole Miss needed to win that game. And we can get into some of the – and there's more time for this later in the year, but, hey, it is April, and D1 did put out one of their first posting projections. Um, I believe it was actually as we record this on a Wednesday night, I believe they actually put that out today. They had Ole Miss as a two-seed in the South Bend. Yeah, that seemed a little silly, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, and we can get to that in a minute. I want to revisit that in a minute. But the point being is this is the time of the year where you start looking at some of your non-conference stuff and what you've been in the non-conference and start kind of doing the math of, hey, how much leeway do we actually have to have in the midweek? You know, that time of year to where it's not yeah. like a panic button thing yet to where, you know, Ole Miss is going to, uh, say, Jonesboro, Arkansas in the last week of May being like, hey, they better Christian not. Trent. Yeah, this, this could be a real problem if they lose this. But this is the time of the year where you start kind of doing the math to where, like, hey, what do we do in the non-conference? Because generally, um, and this is just a guide, but what? Like, you think in terms of – 21 and five. Just, yeah, I was about to say 19 and five, 21 and five, and depending on the amount of games you have. And Ole Miss is already at what? They're at four non-conference losses, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yes. And, and so with that, you're right. Um they, and here's the thing. They, you usually play 26 non-conference right now. Ole Miss is only scheduled to play 24 because of some rainouts. Correct. Uh, well, just because of some rainouts. I figure they will get the other two games in. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if they don't, to be clear. So one so, of them they won't, right? That Memphis game, it doesn't sound Yeah, but you could, you could reschedule it with someone, I guess is my point. Uh, yeah, um, no, no, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. Continue. You could, um, But I guess what I, I'm getting at, they've lost four. Um, they don't need to lose more than one more. They need to go one and one against Southern Miss and State and then not lose again, and I think they'll be fine. Um, you know, and, and if you can go 19-5, and five, you win 18 SEC games, kind of exactly where you want to be going into Hoover. Um, probably some work to do in Hoover if you want to talk about a national seed. But I think the realistic goal – or, excuse me, I think the goal for this team was always to be one of the top eight seeds. Um, they've got work to do to be certain. I mean, we're talking about a team that's four and five in the SEC at the end of the day. But um, I, I think everything is still out in front of them. But I think the reality was Ole Miss needed to go two and one, um, or excuse me, one and two um, in the Southern, the two Southern games in Mississippi State. And they missed an opportunity to, to kind of get out in front of that. Um, but, you know, you got two more big midweek opportunities ahead too. Have you – I covered Ole Miss baseball, what, for – from 2015 on, I guess I missed a good year in Omaha. I, I can't remember, and I've traveled from, you know, for whatever outlet I was with, I feel like I traveled more than I would say like a lot of the beat. Mm-hmm. Is there, when is the last time that Ole Miss has gone down to Trustmark Park to where you're like, that went awesome? Like uh, that was a terrific night. I've got an answer. And I think you were there for some reason because I remember you texting me. Um, Jason Barber scored on a walk-off wild pitch to beat Southern in 2017. Oh, that is a good one. I think that one's the last. I know Ole Miss won uh, there in 2019, but I can't really remember anything about the game. But I do remember Barber scoring on a wild pitch to beat Southern in 2017. Which just kind of underscores the point, right? Like, they they have more bad than good that happens to them down there. Yeah, well, they don't win the Governor's Cup thingy anymore. Yeah, like it's – it's, it's, I don't know, for every reason, and maybe it's the fact that, you know, so also, I don't want to get on a Southern uh, uh, Trustmark Park rant, 
but like if you're not one of the first two people seated there, you can't actually see the game. You know, one night I sat behind Jim Ellis and whomever his color commentary guy was, where I walked up in the middle of the half of the fir- the first the bottom half of the first inning, like they were in between innings, and I couldn't find anywhere to sit where I can see the game, and I just walked into the radio booth and I was like, hey. What's up? Name's Brian. Can I sit here? I swear I won't make any noise. And they're like, yeah, sure. And so I watched the game from Jim Ellis's booth. You can't see anything in there. Like, it's a, it's a total disaster. And that's not exactly – How did Jim Ellis see it? Last night. Like, it's – what did you say? How did Jim Ellis see it? Oh, no, they're on the front row. The radio booth oh, okay. get their own deal, but it's like a closet. Like, the, 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 the print media section that's supposed to be, like, the large part of it, is literally just like two radio booths put together. It is absolutely tiny. And if you're on the second row, you can't see anything. You can't see the actually you can't see the ball out of the pitcher's hand into the catcher's glove. It's it's really stupid. Um anyway, I don't think Trustmark Park was prepared for the media accommodations. If anyone actually suggests that the uh, SEC tournament should be Yeah, I was there, just about to say that one can't be there. They should probably be drug tested. Same with Memphis, but for different reasons. Um So what's the, any, hold on. What what's the reasons against Memphis? I haven't heard those. Well, there's it's no the room. exact same thing. Like, like AutoZone around there, you know, the reason uh, the reason the whole Hoover thing is tailor-made for that is because it's just an, an endless wasteland of parking and stuff. It is. Oh, like, you've been to AutoZone, right? Think about trying to fit all this I stuff around there. Actually. Do you even remember where you parked for AutoZone? It was probably across from some barbecue joint two blocks down. Like, they couldn't I, do I have actually, I've actually not been to AutoZone, so I, so I don't really know the, the surroundings around it. It's literally in the middle of downtown Memphis. Like, there is okay. no room well, around it. It's a cool ballpark, don't get me wrong, but in terms of hosting the SEC tournament, anyone who, like, suggests that, they just have never been there. It's like, what, what are you talking um, about? Do you, do you remember when that was actually a thing, like, where they threatened to move it out of Hoover, even though they were never going to move it out of Hoover? I was rooting for New Orleans. That seemed fun. So, I've never been to that Zephyrs Park, but I, I, the, the reason I remember what you're talking about is because this actually was, like you said, a conversation about, what was that, 2018-ish, 17? Yeah, something around like there. that. But yeah. anyone that was saying Memphis or Nashville, it was like, because the Nashville Sounds Park is kind of the same way. There's a little more room around it, but it's still basically in the city. And so, anyone that was saying, like, move it to Memphis or Nashville, there's more to do. And it's like, dude, like, that's like trying to fit the SEC basketball tournament in the Mississippi Coliseum, if the Mississippi Coliseum had four parking spots. Like, you, you can't do that. Like, anyone who was suggesting something like that was literally just saying that because they wanted to go get drunk on Beale Street or the Strip in Nashville. Like, Broadway, no one that yeah. actually had a brain that had been to both parts was actually suggesting that. It was a completely manufactured storyline. So, um, well, we got off the rails quickly. Anyway, um, so back on to it, though. Ole Miss, so they lose this game 10-7. to Derek Dom, Ole Miss scores three in the, uh, on a Hayden Dunhurst home run, if I'm not mistaken, in the second inning. Yes. And you have Derek Diamond starting this game. Were you shocked Derek Diamond started this game? I actually, when I felt like when the news came out, I was like, actually, this makes a ton of sense. I was kind of actually proud of Mike. Like, you know, baby steps. Shocked, no. Um, I just – so, I guess for whatever reason, I thought Diamond had been sort of relegated to the bullpen with, you know, what they did last week and bringing him in in a game that was kind of situated – um, so I, I thought he may get some experience for a guy like Nichols or Riley Maddox, but no, I wasn't shocked that they gave the the kid that's been a starter, you know, for the most part of his career, uh, a chance to kind of figure it out. And to Derek's credit, he did what Derek does. He he dominated the first time through, and the second time through, it kind of went to hell. Which now some of that was not his fault, um, and some of it was. But 
you know, no, I was I was not surprised at all. He was named the starter. I just, it, it, you know, it, it, there was a you know a plethora of guys that I that I thought Mike would run out there, but but he was certainly one of them. And from the sound of the radio, it sounded like the most Derek Diamond outing of all time with a little bit of defensive help kind of, I would say, sparking the fuse in that sense. Because, right, so the first inning he goes ground out, line out, can't help himself, a little two-out single, then he gets the guy to fly out. Second inning, strike out, ground out, can't help himself, a little harmless single in a one-two count, then he gets the next guy striking out. That's, that's, that's eight hitters right there. That is correct. Where, you know, look – not that it matters that much, but you know, could have been six pretty easily, right? So then yeah. you get the ground out uh, to start. So that's game. nine. So two guys get on out of nine. Probably where you need to get it. Exactly. I'm. I'm. I'm you're. You're. You're picking up what I'm putting down. So the Montenegro kid grounds out. So that's nine hitters, correct? Well, what yep. happens next? Boom! 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 Is what it felt like listening to the radio. I know there were some errors mixed in. You may have been off by one syllable. But we're not going to read on that. Double, double, single. So, <laughs> two runs have scored. You basically nailed that to a team. So, then all of a sudden – Now, now to be completely fair to diet, not to Derek, apparently you got a strikeout that wasn't given to him. The last you one this? on the Ewing kid. So, explain this yeah. to me because this was when I was having to record the podcast and I kind of yeah. had it on in the background without trying to screw up the noise. I'll leave the floor to you. What happened so, here? So, this was apparently a check swing that wasn't – yeah, so th- this is the way DK described it, and, and from what I've gathered, uh, not that I doubted DK, but this is exactly what happened. Um, Southern hits the double, and then they hit the other double, so it's three to one, and it's a one-two count on who's the kid that's up that got the single. What was his name? Ewing. Ewing, yeah, yeah. One one-two count on Ewing, and Diamond apparently throws a curveball that the kid check swings on. Well, you know how, like, when you get a check swing, the catcher automatically appeals, right? Like, you just say, hey, check with him. Well, Dunhurst does that, and the guy rings him up. So, strike out. Except you actually have to get the umpire to appeal behind the plate. And even though this cat at third has rang this guy up, the umpire does not want to appeal and will not take his appeal. And the kid gets to continue his at bat, and the next pitch he rips a single in the center field and makes the game three to two. You coach baseball. What are you doing if that happens? And I've watched a lot You're of going to jail. Years. What is that? Ha- like, how does I've never heard of something like that? I've, I've never seen that. Now, the guy at third base shouldn't have rang him up without the umpire, but he just assumed the umpire was going to point to him as he probably should have. Um, but no, I mean, Mike, the fact that Mike didn't get ejected probably shows that he's mellowed out because I think like 10 years ago, Mike might still be out there. And the fact that he probably honestly doesn't want to pay the fine in a midweek game, but your point is still well stated. So, so, and then he looked, but so it's a one, two count after that. Right. So they call a ball, but then the kid hits a single and like, I don't want to like compound it on. Yeah, but you should have done that. That's a tough thing to overcome as a pitcher, but isn't that kind of the, the, the epitome of what Derek Diamond hasn't been for Ole Miss. Sure. So he gives up the single and the one, two count to Ewing. And this it's is three to two at this point. So it's three two. Yeah, he goes. They go double, double, single. The run comes in. It oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're talking about the score. You're exactly right. So yeah. it's double, double, single. So it's three to two, and this has kind of been the knock on Derek Diamond. And look, for a guy that probably has a decent bit of scar tissue, and for the lack of a better phrase to use, and had Orgeron catchphrase, some snakes in his head. Like, this is a tough place for him to be in. And then again, 
as I keep having to preface everything with, I couldn't watch this game. This is all based off radio and context clues. The next kid hits a ground ball in a one-two count to the third baseman. Apparently, Burford makes an error. So, boom. He should have been out of yeah. the inning there if you're counting the two outs. He still only has one out, but should have been out of the inning there. Then he gets a strikeout. So, there you go. Disaster averted, right? Nope. Guess what happens next? Was this, uh, was this the error by Gonzo? This is the Gonzo throwing error that makes it 3-3. Three to three. And I think this is an important for a lot of ways. And this, honestly, is one of the bajillion reasons I wish I could have watched this game. is you have a guy that I don't know I feel like if we were watching this game and and the amount of times we've talked about Derek Diamond kind of not being able to make the pitch get out of the inning again without seeing it it felt like he did that on at least twice I mean if you're talking about the fielding error versus the strikeout versus the throwing error he had to have made at least two good pitches to get out of the inning and he was still kind of failed. And just from a mental psyche standpoint, 3-3 three, three score aside, that's kind of troubling for a guy that you hope you could use down the stretch. You know what I mean? And I'm not sure. resolving Diamond from blame completely, but, man, what a rough, rough sequence for a guy that was kind of already fragile from a mental standpoint. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, I think the reality just, though, is, you know, um, and, and you're right, it, it is unfortunate, but reality is his numbers the second time through are what they are like you you just you can't do that anymore because um I think the Burford era especially I think the ball was hit really really hard um, and it was just hit at him and didn't make the play so he got an error I could be incorrect on that but uh if I remember right listening to DK I think that ball may have been smoked um I don't know it just it just kind of feels like at this point you've got to and this is unfortunate, but the the diamond that you anticipated having in 2022 when he came in 2020 has, has not materialized for whatever reason. Um, and I think, you know, it's probably time to accept that, hey, he's a guy that can get you through the order one time. But right now, asking him to do more is not beneficial for him or Ole Miss. I think that part of it's well said, too. And even just beyond that, so he he leaves the game. Mike pulled him yeah. from Nichols after the throwing error. So again, just talking about a guy that's kind of you know needed to build up some confidence. What do we talk about? If he wanted to go to the mid, like if he needed to go to the midweek, or Mike put him on the midweek, what was the big thing with that? Build up some confidence. You know, use it to kind of you know, best case scenario. I guess is the way we pitched. It was like presume that Zach Phillips role, right? Kind of figure some things out there, build up some confidence, and again. He's not completely absolved the blame from it, but like, how are you supposed to do that when your guys are not backing you up at all? Too, sure. and I think that's kind of an underrated part of this defense being that this was another three-error game for Ole Miss. And I meant before we started recording to go back and look at the three-error games that Ole Miss has had. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I feel like we'd be stunned by the number of it. Like, yeah, it's not supposed to be bad defensively, and you think about it in terms of just a runs given up perspective. But from small things like this, this type of stuff matters. You're supposed to be better defensively behind your guy no matter who the guy is. Yeah, so for whatever reason, I don't think Ole Miss is bad defensively overall, but I, I do feel like things snowball on them. It, it, and maybe that's that's wrong, and, and I'd have to go look at this statistically, but it just feels like they'll either have a no-error game or a four-error game. You know, it just kind of feels like if, if the floodgates open, it all you know, all hell breaks loose. 
No, and I think you're right. And like to add on to that, it's not the whole like I remember a couple years in like 15 and in 17 particular when they were trying to figure out any way to any sort of way to generate offense and they were just getting kids in the lineup. They would have like doubles and singles that would drop to where it's like, okay, like if they were a good defensive team, they'd probably catch that. To where this team doesn't have that, it's just the classic like through the wickets, almost like a little league error. To where it's like, how does that continue to happen? It's like more mental lapses than them stinking defensively and just not being capable. If that makes any sense at all, I'd have to look at this, but I feel like Peyton Shotney is their best infield defender right now. Yeah, and he's a hot bat too. Oh god! He got a double last night. He did a big one. A big what yeah. could have been a big one. Yeah, yeah. Happy for him. That, and getting good on Mike for for look, yeah, the kid's got to play obviously right now with Graham out. Um, probably didn't get to that by the way. But uh, good on Mike for putting him in the nine hole. Try to kind of relieve some pressure. And so the next two innings after that, though, which is fascinating, to where Ole Miss doesn't have a lot of great at bats from the sounds of it. And they weren't terrible on the mound, but, you know, when you – like the importance of a shutdown inning when you go up 3 nothing is kind of what happens after you give up the lead and you don't have one, right? So they give up the, they give up the lead there and it's 3-3. Three to three. The fourth inning wasn't a disaster. You, the, uh, Nichols gets a strikeout, then he gives up a walk, and then it's boom, double, and then you score on a throwing error, 4-3. All of a sudden, you know, you get out of there two batters later. The next inning – with Maddox in, it's line out, ground out. Well, you walk the kid on four pitches, single, single, boom, five, three. And it's like, okay, this oh is not God. disastrous innings, but like, you know, you should be getting out of them quickly. And then all of a sudden, you look up, up, and it's six, three in the seventh. And it's like, how did we get here? Right? Like, Ole Miss was down six, three in the seventh. And I'm kind of like, how did this happen? I don't mean to, to cut you off. Do you know what Jacob Gonzalez is building this year? It's not great. No, it, it, this wasn't a cutoff either. I'm glad you went this way. It's it's as good as he been. At, Take a at, guess. Um, without knowing this off the top of my head, I don't know. I'm gonna say like nine thirty. Less. Really? No, it's nine twenty-eight. But yeah, it's it's. Good God, they're worse than I realized. I guess. Wow. Um, there's yeah, no reason for that, too. That's kind of no, the epitome of it, right? There's no reason that should be the case. No. Um, man, that's uh, – I yeah, that's there's 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 no reason for that. I, I didn't realize they were quite as, quite as bad. And, and that's some scoring stuff at home that probably helped you out from an error standpoint, too. Um, yeah, that's – they got to get that fixed. Because, like – and I guess it's twofold, right? Like, yes, they – you know, number. I think they're fielding nine sixty five as as a team, which obviously isn't great. But um, like we've said, that this shouldn't be happening. So I guess the hope is that at some point it stops happening. But man, he he fielding nine twenty eight is is not not great for the Rebels. So they get down to six to three in the seventh, and then you get the bases loaded. You get an Alderman walk, Burford single, Dunhurst walk, Chatney sack fly, and then Gonzalez gets the big double into the left center gap, and you tie this thing at six six. Then he scores on a balk, and it you know if there was such thing as kind of feeling, I thought it was over the stadium without knowing it. It's like oh seven six, they're going to take care of this game. Yeah, what did you say? You thought it was over, right? I thought it was over. Right, and then yeah. you get the Calvin Harris walk on top of that, and you're like, all right, if Bench can put this sucker in the gap, you're good. You know, decent at bat, but obviously he got ahead three to not three zero, and then it's strike, 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 and it's like, damn, that felt like a kind of a quiet missed opportunity in that sense. 
I thought they would go to Brandon Johnson immediately. I don't know about you, but and again, look, he gets the uh, was it Maddox in the game at that point? Gets, no, it's McDaniel. McDaniel, that's right. It's a strikeout on four pitches that was three uh, two strikes, a foul, and a strike. And it's like okay, but then all of a sudden, the Ewing kid rips the triple to right center. I wouldn't say Ole Miss played that great from a, a, a defensive standpoint. But then all of a sudden it's 7-6 and Brandon Johnson's on the mound in a 7-6 game with one out in the third. And then that was kind of the end of this game. Like, not to belabor the point, but he just kind of had a bad night. And, like, yeah, like not to make a ton of this game, and we just kind of went through the play-by-play probably because we didn't watch it. But, like, from that point, you know, defensive stuff aside, not helping diamond stuff aside, this was when I just kind of started shrugging my shoulders. was like, okay, Brandon Johnson didn't have it. And he gave <laughs> up a home run in an 0-1 count where – I saw a homemade replay of this. It looked like he left one up and in. That's a complete guess. Someone in the stadium is probably going to be like, this idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. You're right. I didn't see it. I saw it from some random guy's cell phone on Facebook. But it was just kind of like, okay, he made a mistake on three pitches. Eh. Yeah. And I think some of it may have been that – and look, like you said, we haven't watched. I think, you know, if, if, if I'm the coach and if I'm Brandon Johnson, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if uh, these cats from CUSA can catch up to 95-mile-hour fastball. Yep. And and credit to them, they were. Now, my, my rebuttal to that was, uh, did, you, did did we watch the Oxford Regional last year? Um, anyway. Or just anything they've done this year. They're good. Yeah. yeah. Shocker, Southern Miss can hit again. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Brandon Johnson has a bad night. That That's not a big deal to me because Brandon Johnson had a lot of good nights. Um, so, um, I can tell you this. If, if Ole Miss is up, eight or seven to six in the bottom of the eight or the top of the eight this weekend. Um, and they had the ball to Brandon Johnson. I feel pretty good about the Rebels winning that game. You know what's crazy about Southern Miss and their record, too? was Well, one, you talked about what they should have known that they were going to hit. Do you know the telltale sign of why Southern Miss should have hit? Oxford Regional aside. Uh, because Ole Miss was in the building? No, they swept North Alabama to start the year. Oh, that's a good point. You don't just do that. That's how you know they're serious. So they lose a weird midweek game to uh, uh, North South Alabama to after that sweep of North Alabama. I get it, hangover game. I actually watched this game. My uh, roommate is a South Alabama alum, and we threw this on mm-hmm. in the midweek. But, like, after that, they kind of rolled through everyone. They took two out of three from UOL, but then they went to DBU and got swept in two pretty close games. Point being, you know, in D1's projections, I guess is the best way to put this, guess who's hosting in the state of Mississippi and no one else? Yeah, Southern, which is silly, but agreed. Yeah, I mean, they're sure. a good in team. April, though. In April, though. Yeah, like, yeah. No, so, I mean, they're they're a really good team. And so, as you head into this weekend for Alabama, because it's an important weekend for Ole Miss, as we kind of highlighted at the top before we went to the play-by-play of this game, yes, Ole Miss needed this game, and it gives them much less margin for error to navigate the rest of the non-conference schedule for the last month and three weeks. But at the same time, I'm kind of with you. I just don't make a ton of this on the surface. And I know people sure. don't want to hear that because of the way this season is set up. I mean, look at the message board last night. It's fire Mike. This is embarrassing. Blah, blah, blah. This is going to happen after every loss. I just, on the surface, didn't make a ton of this. Yes, is the defensive problems, like, is that an issue? Sure. Is Derek Diamond not necessarily being a factor given, I mean, honest to God, if we want to get real here, the scholarship weight that he's pulling with this team? And being a complete non-factor, is that a problem? Sure, but they didn't help him out either. I just look at this game and think, okay, they played shitty and got beat by a 
a team that's good enough to beat them when they play bad. I just don't make anything of this long term to where after like Tennessee, you kind of looked at it and was like, okay, this team has real issues that could linger long term, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then I watched Tennessee play last week, and I'm like, I don't know if they have issues or not. But, uh, no, you're right. Um, just from a what they did last night standpoint, like nothing going forward in SEC play concerns me. Outside of, yes, obviously they have to play better defense. Uh, my favorite thing, uh, you know, was kind of the freak out last night. And I get it. I get it. Cause, you know, uh, what happened in the offseason. But it's like, we never beat Southern Miss. It's like, buddy, almost is seven and three since 2017 against Southern. It's going to be okay. Um, they, they put them out of the regional last year. It's it's going to be okay. Um, you know, it's it, there was a time when Ole Miss struggled to beat Southern. Um, that, that time is not now. What on the Venn diagram is the overlap of Bianco still bunts a lot and they don't beat Southern Miss in terms of the take sphere? I feel like those people maybe are in the same boat. I, we don't have time to conduct a study, but what are your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that, that feels about right. Um, yeah, because there was a time, in complete fairness to them. To them no, there like was. 2012 to 2015, they didn't beat Southern. They didn't state in the uh, midweek game, and they would and they would struggle with Memphis. And it, there was a time where that argument was relevant, but uh, from about 2017 on, it's it's kind of not been. So, uh, but yeah, that 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 Venn diagram seems uh, seems about right. Many could argue those were the good old days. Peaked in high school and never stopped peaking. I know I can say that for myself. Um, but yes, in the last ten years, they've been okay with Southern and Mike has stopped bunting. Let's turn our attention to the Alabama Crimson Tide this weekend. Sure. This is an important series for Ole Miss. We say this every weekend, but that's kind of the fun. You know, I was – so, full disclosure, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Chase rolls into town for a uh, golf tournament out here in Dallas. I was having dinner with him right before we started recording. And it's funny we say so, this. So, fun weekend. fact um, with, with Chase last night, did you listen to when Brandon Johnson came in? No, what happened? So, so um, Brad Henderson said that Dylan Delusia was getting loose. And when they cut oh, to break, God. when Brandon Johnson was coming in, um, they said Dylan Delucia was coming in. And I text Chase. I said, what the – I'll let you fill in the blank. Is he doing? And uh, and then, then I figured out it was uh, Brandon Johnson. And I, I almost had a conniption fit um, last night when – like during the uh, audio break when they said Delucia was coming in. Well, I don't blame you for that one. I missed the part on the audio and like Brad Anderson out there giving people heart attack. If that had actually been the case where he was like, uh, Dylan Delicious warming up, I'm not even sure I would have had a conniption. I would have just so, like, I give up. I don't understand this. I have tried to solve the Banco puzzle. So, so Henderson, okay, now, I, I, hands up. This is this is the end of it. I'm done. Like I'm throwing away the pieces. I'm the kid throwing the last pieces in the trash can. I don't understand the puzzle. So, Anderson says he's, like, throwing his weekly bullpen. Like, okay, that makes some sense. And then they uh, – um, Kellum, I guess, just, like, mistakenly said, as they cut to break, he was like, and, and Dylan Delucia coming in for the Rebels. I'm like, hold up. They finally got the rotation fixed, and they're going to do this. Kid. The kid that gives you six and a third, a three-hit ball there weekend, he really needs to fill some innings in this game in Trustmark Park. Like, so yeah, I, I was just like, "What the is he doing?" But uh, uh, thankfully, Mike Mike was uh, not, I, and I didn't think I thought it was a mistake. But uh, yeah, it was. There was about a fifteen-second 
you know, pause there where I, I was I was a little heated. That may be the anti-Mike argument <laughs> ammunition to where, hey, you, you can't tell if that guy's ever being serious or not. Like, you, you, like nothing is ever out of the realm of possibility. But so anyway, oh, God. I was talking to Chase earlier tonight. I was like, you know, every weekend for the last, like, four years has felt like a massive series, literally from Black Monday on. And, look, yes, of course. Yeah. There's been some non-conference series, but every SEC series has felt like a massive sure. one. But but with this team in particular, like I feel like this one encapsulates it um, probably to the nth degree. And look, they survived Kentucky, and credit to them last weekend, right? We talked about it on Sunday. Tough teams win series like that. Well, this is a better version of that, but you're getting them at home, right? We kind of I felt like we talked about Alabama and Kentucky in the same light. And while I don't think that's totally unfair, you're talking about an Alabama team that. And I know I've said this three or four times on the podcast and at least a couple of times in the newsletter. They're like nine pitches away from being like six and six and three or seven and two. And I know that sounds insane, but if you go sure. look at their Florida series and you go look at the Mississippi State series and how they lost that one AM game, it's not that crazy to think about. This is a capable team. No. Where it's kind of like last weekend in the sense that Ole Miss better play well. And I know that's a general way to start off this conversation. But it's just kind of the reality. Like, Ole Miss is going to have to bring it to take two this weekend. Yeah. No, Alabama's not a bad team at all. Um, so, you know, a team that's four and five just like Ole Miss. Um, and, and, and very easily, like you said, could be six and three. I mean, they, they make two pitches in Starkville and, and, and they get out there with a sweep. Um, you know, it's, it's a good team that's played on the road, played in a hostile environment and beat Noble. Um, and, and had leads in the in the final innings in two, the two games they lost. So, no, Ole Miss will have to play extremely well. They have to swing it well. Um, I guess the good news for Ole Miss, if you believe in things like this, is they usually play Alabama well, um, especially in Oxford. But even in Tuscaloosa last year, they swept them. It's a, it's a, it's a really good team. I think – oh, I shouldn't say really good. I think they're probably comparable um, to Auburn. I think they'd probably be a little bit better than Kentucky. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be almost like you said, they'll have to play well if, if they want to get out of there with a series victory. It is weird. Ole Miss does play Alabama well, whether it's in, uh, in Tuscaloosa or in Oxford. Like Ole Miss has kind of made their hay when they needed it in the past against Alabama. And it's a club that we, – we've talked about this when we've gone around the SEC the first couple weeks of the year to where it's like Bo Hannon's probably getting fired, but, like, he's going to get fired at the end of the year if they don't make the tournament? And, like, is there anyone going to say that he did a bad job? Like, it's a tough gig, and he's brought talent in there. And I think that's the biggest thing probably to hit on there. What was the kid last year that never really pitched but was kind of an ace that they could have oh, had behind Antoine Jean and the other uh, – their Sunday oh, guy? Oh, Preluff. He, he's still technically there. He's going to get drafted in the first round. I'll push back a little bit. Wait a minute. Connor Preluff's on the roster? Uh, I mean, I guess. He got he, he got Tommy John last year and is out for the year. Oh, oh okay. Um, yes. I'll push back a little bit. I thought I think Bahan has done a pretty good job. Like he made the tournament last year. I think he I think he's fine. because um, I think they're gonna make the tournament again this year. So you don't think he's canned if they don't no, make no, it? No, no, I well, yeah, but I think they're gonna make it. <laughs> okay, no, that's so. fair enough. I, I'm with you on that. I guess we're saying two different versions of thinking. I think he's a good coach that's done a great job. What was the guy before him? Uh Do you remember how big of a disaster like he was? Yeah, he tried to cut everybody. He cheated and pissed everyone off, and they weren't good. Do you know how hard that is to do? It's a bold strategy. 
<laughs> it's a bold strategy. I, I had a buddy that covered Alabama for a little bit. And hey. I, I don't want to get too rumory on the podcast, but I heard a wild story about how they had some. No, go of, ahead. Oh, I, had, I heard some story about how they had like a Bama alumni weekend. And like that guy, I don't want to say he just went and got tanked at the bar, but I heard he like went and had one drink, talked to one dude and was like, I'm out of here. And they were like, Hey man, what are you doing? This is Alabama baseball. We have all these people gathered in this tent. He's like, yeah, I don't really do stuff like this. It's like, well, you know, what you're also not about to do is coach this program any longer. He just kind of <laughs> no showed a gigantic alumni event as he's trying to pull Alabama out of the gutter. Gutter. Hey, Talk about a bold of, strategy. Uh, That's a tough one to follow through with. Speaking of cheating, who does uh, Tennessee have this weekend? <laughs> I'm gonna have to look up around this. I actually don't know off the top of my head who Tennessee has this weekend. They'll probably sweep them. They probably well, depending on what bats they use. So, what do you make of that storyline? We'll just get to that before we get further into Alabama. I so I what do you believe the whole thing that they had the sticker from the Western Carolina deal and it just got overlooked? No, I don't buy that at all. Um, look, I, I Missouri, don't, I'm not at Mizzou in 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 Knoxville. Oh, good lord! They're um, gonna be twelve and zero. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, no, I, I I, don't think Tennessee is like, you know, breaking down rules just to break down rules. But I, for some reason, it does feel like they hit the ball a little bit farther than everybody else. I don't know anything. But man, it, it, you know, I think the way – I guess the thing that tells me the most or told me, you know, may raise my antennas was like how aggressively – have you seen the video that Vitello tried to get that bat back? Give me the like, and, bat nine times? Yeah. That that made me look up and was like, well, maybe there is something to this. Again, I don't know anything, but yeah, it just kind of seems like there uh, there was something there, and I don't know. Um, we'll see. Maybe maybe if Missouri gets a game, there'll there'll be a conspiracy theory out. I uh, I do. Don't do know. you buy anything with it? So I mean, you, to be completely honest, you just talked me into part of it as I was just sitting here. I can't tell you I completely buy into it, but I did find the aggressive nature of that. Very bizarre, and I will just say off the top of my head and like my memory, they hit a couple home runs, and granted, yeah. Ole Miss is a pitching got obliterated that weekend, so it didn't really matter. But they really did hit a couple home runs where balls on the trajectory that they hit out to right field in particular, and this is maybe just me watching too many Ole Miss games, but just like kind of like line drive home runs getting up to the second, bro that didn't get into Georgia with the Atlanta Braves snapback sitting in the Ole Miss student section that <laughs> balls don't normally get into. Like, you know what I mean to where it's like, that yeah. carried how far? <laughs> and so I'm not telling you I buy into the conspiracy theory at all. They have some dudes, and they have some healthy-looking dudes at the plate. I'll give you like, yeah. You know what I mean on top of that? But, like, if there were something to that, it wouldn't totally stun me because there were a couple balls they hit against Ole Miss where I was like, wait a minute, how? Yeah, that. That's all I'm really basing on. Is and they just got miss- out quicker to where, like, the camera couldn't catch up. I thought yeah. that was kind of strange, too. That's that's all I'm really basing on is, is kind of the uh, the way they hit the ball out of the ballpark a lot farther than everybody else. And I wouldn't have thought anything of that until I saw Vitello freak out. Like, man, they'll give you your bat back. Just chill out. And But the way he freaked out kind of made me raise some antennas. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure nothing will ever come on it, of it, but it just – the, the that that freak out at Vandy kind of kind of made me made me uh, aware of it. 
Alabama, I believe, is going to go with three right-handers this weekend. The thing you need to know about them, the preseason versus what they are now, I think a guy that they thought was going to kind of be a linchpin for them, Antoine Jean, has been ousted out of the rotation. I believe he was booted after the Florida series to where he never really had a blow-up outing, but he was just kind of aggressively average. And they went with a kid named Garrett McMillan, it sounds like, on Sunday so far. I, honest to God, I can't say anything. I don't know much about him. He is a right-handed dude that looks like he throws low 90s, kind of your typical fastball slider guy. But Ole Miss is going to face – Pretty much three in the low 90s right-handers. One of them has a decent – the Saturday guy seems like he has a decent change-up. But they're just kind of scrappy in that sense, and they score just enough runs. Like, Alabama is like the sixth-best team in a lot of things in the West, both pitching and hitting. Yeah, no, that's it's just kind of what Alabama is. Um, but, you know, they're well-coached, I think, you know. So, Ole Miss will have to play well. I, I don't think Ole Miss is going – I think Ole Miss will be better, frankly. I think Ole Miss is better in pretty much every category, uh, but it's not by enough for you to play poorly and still win this series, if that makes 100%. sense. Like, I, I, I think Ole Miss, if you told me, hey, who's got the better starting pitching? Frankly, I think it's Ole Miss maybe this weekend. Uh, who's got the better bullpen? I think it's Ole Miss. And who has the better lineup? I think it's Ole Miss. But you still have to play well or you're going to get your teeth kicked in in front of 10,000 people at Swayze. Yep, and on top of that, like looking at the – I think the the best place to start with this is Ole Miss. Do you believe the rotation – we record this on a Wednesday night before the rotation has been submitted, but do you believe it will be the same? I have no insight, but, yes, I would – I would especially with how yesterday played out, I would struggle to believe that they would do anything different. I am uh, with you on that one as well, and I think one of the important things is, one, I'm fascinated to see what Dylan DeLucia looks like a second time. I'm fascinated sure. to see if there is a change. Where would you guess the change would be? It, it'd be Saturday. Yeah, I think it would be in the middle as well. I don't think they'll do anything different. Maybe he just kind of rolls with it and sees. Because I'd like to see another Hunter Elliott outing. I really would. I'm not necessarily advocating for that. But if there is some sort of change, I do think it comes in the middle. Maybe you just stick more of a power arm like Doherty. I don't know enough about Alabama's offense to know what they're more or less conducive to. But, you know, we go back to that Mike quote two Tuesdays ago after their midweek win over North Alabama, and he kind of said – that's the one thing I'll point out when we're talking about a change versus not of a change. Um, he kept saying – or he said twice, I think, something to the effect of we're going to look at the matchups each week and do what we think is best to beat them that week. So if there is some sort of tweak, I think it'll be in the middle. One thing I'll point out to you is Alabama is pretty much middle of the pack in slugging percentage, batting average. They score a decent amount of runs. Um, Actually, no, that's not necessarily true. They're bad with runners in scoring position. They get a decent amount of hits, I would say. They don't necessarily get a lot of people across. They're getting on, on base percentage is fairly low. And I think that calls into question kind of Ole Miss's ability to not give them free passes. And I'm thinking Jack Washburn on Sunday. Like, don't give the kid, you know, two two free passes in the second inning and give them free stuff like that. Because I think sure. if you challenge them in the strike zone, the pitching staff will be fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. That's a really good point about Washburn. Um, so, no, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a team that doesn't swing it overly well. Um, so make them earn everything that they do. And I, I think dilution, and frankly, I think uh, Hunter Elliott will be, be uh, good for that. Um, Washburn was really good last Sunday with, with limiting 
um, you know, the free passes, and, and hopefully for Ole Miss's sake, he's good again this Sunday because, frankly, that'll that'll be what tells the tale for him. When when he's in the zone, um, I'll say this about Wash, and because and, some people have, have texted me and said, you know, I thought this guy was a 92 to 94 guy. Um, Washburn's fastball is really, really high spin rate. Think, think Gunnar Hoagland, think Brady Bramlett. So his, his fastball plays a lot harder. Um, and, and, you know, plays up a lot more uh, than, than most guys that sit 89 to 91. So if he's in the zone, he's really tough to hit. That'll, that'll be big for Ole Miss on Sunday. We talked about the last two weekends or heading into the last two weekends um, right before the Kentucky series. And we talked about, like, this is where Ole Miss needs to make its hay from the scheduling standpoint uh, it favoring well for them. But it's also a fair test. And I think Alabama encapsulates this in a couple of different senses. We talked about Ole Miss not like just a second ago. I pointed out not giving them free passes. Guess what? Correlates Alabama draws the least amount of walks in the SEC, and they are also the least walk team or drawing walks when it comes to SEC play as well. And then when you look at it, just their schedule base level. They sweep Xavier. They get swept by Texas. They sweep Murray State. They beat the hell out of Binghamton. They lose a close series to Florida. They lose a close series to State. They beat A&M in a close series. This tells me this is a lineup that hits average pitching well, but when they top in to kind of above average pitching, they struggle a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. Um, to a team. You know, even, yeah, even Mississippi State, uh, they, they, they scored a lot of runs in the series they lost. So, um, yeah, it, it, that's what it feels like. Almost we'll, we'll have to compete, be in the zone. Um, you know, Texas kind of dominated them, but I don't think Ole Miss has Texas arms. So it's kind of, kind of, you know, irrelevant for Ole Miss when you talk about that Texas series, just because I don't think Ole Miss can do what, uh, what Texas did to them. It'll look, Ole Miss has got to play well. Um, I think I'll say this. I think it's the best Alabama team that's come to Oxford since maybe 2013. Um, you know, so, so it's a series where, where if Ole Miss doesn't play well, I don't think they'll like the result. And it's a series Alabama really needs to, right? They missed yes. an opportunity at home against Florida. They really could have won that series at State. And, like, I won't call that a missed opportunity in terms of their scheduling. But, like, they kind of need to make up one. And this feels like a vulnerable spot in terms of the state of this old Miss team to get it. Because you know what they have next weekend? What's that? At Tennessee. Oof, well, that's three losses. Then home against Georgia and at South Carolina, and then LSU and Auburn. So the schedule stiffens up for the Crimson Tide. I imagine this like, look, if I'm, uh, if I am, I was about to say Greg Goff. If I am Brad Bohannon, I am. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of put up or shut up time, where it's like, hey, we we need to find a way to get two. And I think, I mean, look, we're throwing out every cliche in the book saying they're going to get Ole Miss's best shot, but I think we discount that sometimes. I remember there was a Missouri team that came to Oxford. It wasn't the year that Ole Miss beat Hauk to kind of get in the NCAA tournament in 17. There was another one, I can't remember, it was 18 or 16, where they were kind of a borderline tournament team, and Ole Miss really needed to get two, and they got a much more competitive fight for Missouri, and that was a team right on the bubble. And granted, that was late May, but sometimes I feel like we discount the fact, even in April series, of the away team that's not very good really, really needing it in that spot. And I feel like that makes a difference a lot of times in a truncated season in college baseball that we don't always put full weight on. No, yeah, I mean, um, look, you're not going to have it in all, all ten series. Um, but, you know, from just a confidence standpoint, them winning last week against A&M is pretty big. It's uh, – look, Ole Miss will have to play well. I know 
said that over and over, but it's uh, it's going to be an Alabama team that's competitive. Bohannon's brought a lot of talent in there. He was a really good recruiter at Auburn when they hired him. It's uh, it's going to be a dogfight, I think. Uh, I think I said early in the week, Ole Miss, Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss is going to sweep. I'm not, I'm not overly sure I still think that. Does Kevin Graham play? Yes. I don't know what role, and I don't have any – I don't have much insight, but I, I would be shocked if the guy that was wearing shorts um, at all the games that put on baseball pants last night, I'll be shocked if that guy's not in the lineup at some point this weekend. How many games does Calvin Harris start? Three. What happens if it's one? Uh, you'll, you'll have to pay my bill. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. I just don't – I don't understand that aspect of it. So, he gets to start the other night. And so, the one injury note on a serious note I'll add is that apparently uh, McCant twisted an ankle, but sounds like he'll be okay. That was just a precautionary thing. He was I would like him to stop – I would like him to stop doing things to make him miss games where – not just that – it's not that he's missing the game, but it's I have to wonder if he's okay. Yeah, he had like the little uh, dehydration tweaked whatever yeah. at Auburn and didn't really miss a significant amount of time. And then Mike put out the lineup on Tuesday with him in the lineup, and then five minutes later he was out of the lineup. It's like, and I get there being precautionary, and it's mostly yeah, just sure. kind of a funny like sub storyline. But I'm with you. It's like, can you just you know can you put out one lineup and he stay in it? Like, let's stop <laughs> tweaking stuff. Um, but on the other on the other side of that. Harris has to, particularly with three right-handers, presumably yes. going for Alabama, he has to start all three games, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. and I think he will. Um, frankly, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I, it feels like it might be time for, you know, uh, Reagan Burford to be the guy. You know, we talk about who he should replace. It, it's either, to me, it's either Burford or Shatney. And I think the way Shatney is, you know, look, he's not swung it very well, but – Burford hadn't swung it a whole hell of a lot better in SEC play. And, you know, I, I just kind of think with, you know, Chatagnier being the guy that, that's played a lot more SEC baseball, it feels like Burford may be the guy that's on the short end of the stick with the Calvin Harris thing this weekend. But you also got to consider the Kevin Graham aspect. Um, so you may have two cats going to the bench. I think on the Burford-Chatagnier part of it, you're on to something there, my friend, because in all things equal, what did you say earlier? Chatagnier's been one of their better defenders. Mm-hmm. So all things are yep. equal. What are you taking with the guy that makes errors at third base or the guy that fields most of his position pretty well at second base? That's the last thing I was going to ask you about the lineup was if you do get Kevin Graham this weekend in whatever capacity, let's just say for the sake of the argument, I don't necessarily think this is going to happen. Let's just say Kevin Graham's full go and he is the okay. left fielder for all three games. How do you make your lineup? Just go. Well, let's, let's just do it then. Um, we'll put we'll, obviously Graham in left field. Um, all right, so Deluce is on the mound. Dunhurst is behind the plate. Oko's at first. Chats is at second. Okay, that that that's pretty set in stone, right? Gonzalez. Um, Gonzalez at short. Yeah, those those are pretty set in stone. I think you go bench at third. Wow, um, bench at third. McCants in center. Leatherwood and right. Alderman. Well, crap. Um, That's not Calvin Harris. It doesn't doesn't yeah. it like Harrison right, and then some version of Alderman or Leatherwood at DH. No, I think I think you would let just the more experienced outfielders play the outfield and let yeah. Harris DH. Um, the problem I will grant here's what I will grant though. Uh, Mike might want to not DH Harris just because he is the backup catcher and putting him in the DH spot if something were to happen at Dunhurst makes that a little tricky. Yeah. Um, 
So, is Hayden Leatherwood or Kemp Alderman one going to the bench this weekend? So we or we hinted at this a couple weeks ago, and we basically deemed it way down on the list of the problems Ole Miss had at the time with their rotation and everything else, which was true. But you're looking at a scenario with a healthy Kevin Graham that you're either getting, what is that, Burford and Alderman or Burford and Leatherwood on the bench no matter how you stack it up, correct? And maybe that's just a simple reality of what this team needs to be, but it's kind of a wild concept to think about considering the musical chairs that has happened so far this year, right? Yeah, the only other options benching both Chatney and Burford. Um, and I don't really know how you do that. Um, just from a logistical standpoint, like bench can't play six positions. No, um, you could go McCants at second. All right, who's playing center? Because you got to play bench at third. Could you go McCants at second, bench in the outfield? No, you can't do that, can you? The, uh, well, I, what you could do, and this is getting a little bit out there. Oh, I know what you're going. Are you going to go Elko to third? Yeah, you can put Elko yeah. at third and play Harris at first. Um, but he hadn't played third all year. But he came in as a third baseman. I don't know. Just I'm 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 always in favor of just get your best nine offensive players on the field and see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what the lineup card is. I'm sure it will. Uh, I'm sure it will generate some uh, some uh, some thoughts. Yeah, some thoughts. That's a great way to put it <laughs> in a uh, in an absolutely mild mild term at the least. I think we covered everything in that sense. We'll start with this series. How do you think Ole Miss does this weekend? Uh, so I'll put it like this. Um, I think Auburn and Alabama are pretty comparable. I think Alabama's a little bit better than Kentucky. Um, Ole Miss, if you and you can't do this, Ole Miss, if you don't look at the Tennessee series, is four and two and two road series. I struggle to think that they won't play well at home, um, especially after what happened to Tennessee. I think they win on Friday and Sunday. Um, so I'm going to say Ole Miss wins two. I'm going to go Ole Miss. Yeah, I'm going to go Ole Miss, too, as well. Ole Miss got really bold because I think it's a decent matchup, particularly. I, I do, too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't but think I gotta see is, them. Is, is a sweet, like, team better than Alabama because I, we just spent, talk, like, half the hour talking about, like, what a better – like, how much better a team Alabama is. But in terms of just the absolute matchup, three low 90s right-handers – Alabama doesn't do a ton of things well other than they play decent defense. Like, it's a decent matchup, but I'm not going Ole Miss three until they have kind of a little more attention to detail. I need them to play three complete games on a weekend before I can do that. Yep, I think that's a great way to put it. Are you ready for a feisty weekend of SEC baseball? This is a great slate. So, do, do Tennessee, Missouri. We can get that out of the way. Vols three. Vols three. Go ahead. Are we disrespecting Missouri? I don't care. I, it, the Tennessee could play the Yankees, and I get Tennessee three right now. I think that's all that needed to be said. I, I'm not disrespecting. Tennessee's feisty, and that excuse me, Tennessee, Tennessee's feisty. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> Missouri is feisty a little bit. They are the bottom of the. That's a that's a one revelation that I I think we can make through three weeks. There's no like second tier of the league that feels really really strong. Just the bottom of it doesn't suck. Like, Missouri's okay. No, you don't want to roll in. Like, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think Mississippi State is one of – I think they're a bottom-tier team right now. And they're okay. But I'm – 
But when Mississippi State rolls into Oxford in two weeks, I'm going to be scared as hell. Like, yes. you know, I, it's like Tennessee, kind of Vanderbilt, just because I think of their arms. Maybe if you want to put a second tier right now, it's Vandy, Arkansas. But then it's a tiny gap, and then it's everyone else where it's like, I'll throw my hands up. Yeah, but, I mean, you're talking about a Vandy team that lost the series to South Carolina and then got swept by Tennessee. So. Oh, yeah, they're three and six, I, right? Yeah. Um, no, they're four and five. Four and, four and five. They That's swept right. Missouri. They swept um, Missouri, yeah. But it's Tennessee, and then I think it's a little fall off, and it's Arkansas, and then it's like six teams, and then it's another little fall off. But, yeah, they're, they're, there's so much parity throughout this league. I do think – I will say this. Everybody talks about – um, the league and it being down and, and, you know, a lot of the teams being the same. I do think that by the time we look up in, in you know, the middle of May, I think there will be two or three teams um, from that middle tier that we think right now that have separated themselves. And it's honest to God, if you're talking about encapsulating how this season is going to go for the Mighty Rebels, it's, it really is a matter of whether they're one of them because they need to be at home for a regional and they probably need and to be at home for two. If the rotation is good. I think it will be them. But, you know, that's a big if. LSU goes to Starkville. Whew. I know. Who's the better team? For all three, like all of these series. Who, who's the better team? LSU. I think it's LSU. Um, but if they they but in that environment in particular, if they kick it around defensively like they've been, does it matter that yeah. they're better? Because the, no. the gap is not much. State had some character winning that game on Sunday in Fayetteville when you, when you they, could have laid down a lot of time. Well, we recorded the podcast while that was going on, right? That was, I mean, how many how many times you look up where Arkansas had two on in the extra innings or one yeah. on ninth or something, and State got out of it. That, I agree with you. I, I don't think State State wins too. Oh, yeah. I, I think I, that does frankly, you can tell me. Thing. You you can tell me that state is down like six to nothing with nobody out in the bottom of the night or two outs in the bottom of the night and nobody on um, to the Boston Red Sox. And I'm like, well, as long as they're at duty noble, they're probably going to win. So, well, and I mean, um, in this version of it, could they be down like five one in the ninth and then they score four? And then you look into like the recap after it's like, oh, they scored four because they got one hit because LSU just destroyed, like, absolutely <laughs> booted the ball. Self destructed. Yeah. Yeah. So, ah. yeah, I'm going yeah, go to go state too. Auburn hosting Vanderbilt. How about this one? Ooh. Yeah. Because Vanderbilt really needs this, but Auburn's kind of good. Not Auburn's not kind of good. I think Auburn is good. We talked about them being a borderline NCAA tournament team. I think we're talking about Auburn as a strong two. Versus like a week two to maybe three. Do we get that on Thursday? That would be fun. What do we, we get on that? Thursday this week? I can tell you. Hold on. Give me two seconds. Thursday. No, we don't. Um, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, A&M. Not the worst lineup, but oh, I would have liked to have seen that on Thursday as well. I'm with you. Um, I'm going to go Auburn, too. Auburn wins, too. I think I am, too. Yeah. So you're talking Vanderbilt five and what? Five and seven. I mean, that's not the worst place to be, and they'll probably figure figure it out. But that's kind of an unrecognizable place for that Vanderbilt program. Florida, uh, reeling Florida team host Arkansas in the swamp or whatever they call that stadium now. I'll let you go first. 
Arkansas too. I don't think Auburn. I don't think Florida is that good. I think if it, look, if it was kind of a Florida. I don't want to say last stand type of thing, but Florida kind of nuts up and really gets one and makes up some ground. Not stunning, but I. Arkansas, they lost Peyton Paulette, and they haven't done a whole lot to tell me that they're not good beyond that. Would they be a better team with Paulette? Of course. But Connor Nolan's been really good, and they've been really good on the mound for the first two nights. I- I'm just going to go Arkansas because on top of that, I know they're going to hit, and I don't know Florida is going to. Arkansas once a year. Just mark your calendar. Arkansas once a year goes on the road, and they come home, and you don't know what the hell happened to them. Like, if you remember in 2018, they got swept in Mississippi State. Um, and then, then it happened again last year. I can't remember who it was against. There's just one series every year we they just take off. And I think it's going to be this one, especially against the Florida team that uh, that has to have it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Florida wins too. Georgia rolling into South Carolina. South Carolina reeling. Very inconsistent team, as you outlined uh, earlier in the week. Kind of banged up. Georgia riding Georgia high off two. a road sweep of Florida. I think South Carolina rebounds here and gets two. Okay. I'm going to go Georgia just because I think Georgia's going to win on Friday because Jonathan Cannon's really good, and I'll just take the odds that they win one more. So, if you, if you uh, end up being correct, you're talking about a Georgia team that we've talked about to where they have good front-end pitching to where you just mentioned I think they'll win on Friday. I kind of probably agree with you in the way South Carolina wins that series where they grind one out on Friday to where it doesn't make a ton of sense. But that's a Georgia team that's eight and four heading into the halfway week. To where you're not even sure they're good, but at a certain point, eight and four is eight and four. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you know, at some point you get credit for winning baseball games. Um, so it's just, it's uh it's gonna be a good weekend. Is that the last one? No, we got two. Oh no, we have sorry, just one more. Kentucky A and M. Um, I'll just give you one bold prediction on this one. The loser of this series we stopped talking about in terms of the NCAA tournament conversation. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, it's in I, I'll call Kentucky. State. I'm going to go with Kentucky because I think Texas A&M just isn't any good. Um, and I don't think Childress left him a lot to work with, whereas I think Minji Owens recruited pretty well. Um, I, I, uh, you, you can tell me A&M sweeps or Kentucky sweeps, and I won't be shocked. But I, I think if I had to pick them to go Kentucky wins too. I'm going to go A&M two rebounds at home. That feels like a uh, – I'll go manager mismatch on you. Um, I'll go uh, I'll go Slosh versus Mingione. All right, that um, is – go go ahead. Just the, the, the D1 projections, did, did anything there kind of surprise you? So I went through it earlier today. Ole Miss was the two seed in the South Bend Regional. I mean, they had Georgia as a host and Southern and DBU. Beyond that, I just kind of skimmed it. Is there something you like to get to? So Ole Miss is – and I get it. Ole Miss is being punished for having a losing SEC record. But at some point, like, if Ole Miss had won one game against Tennessee, I feel like they would be the number 12 national seed. It kind of just feels – I don't know if – Brawl, not brawl, that's not the word I'm looking for, but it kind of just feels off the mark that, you know, um, you can go from, you know, being a two seed to a 12 seed based off one game against Tennessee. So, I don't know. I, I know D1 likes to do a lot of things based off projections and whatnot, but it just kind of feels like that, that, that – and I know these don't matter, but I kind of get invested in them because I kind of think they're fun to look at. It just kind of feels like they, they, uh, they kind of uh, – screwed isn't the right word, 
obviously, because it doesn't matter at the end of the day, but it just kind of feels like Ole Miss out of place in that one. Because I think if – look, I think if the season ended today, Ole Miss would host a regional. Thank God the season does not end today. I think the last sentence you just said probably sums that up perfectly. I'll, um, I'm, this is not even necessarily a defensive D1. Kendall and Aaron go to a lot of these games, but they've, one, expanded their staff to where they have a lot of guys on staff, and they have a lot of guys in the room with the input in this. And you mentioned they like to do a lot of projection with it. I, uh, I think you're right. If the season ended today, Ole Miss is a host based off their metrics. But I think their first one has gone off a decent bit how Ole Miss looked. And now, look, the Tennessee series has gotten graded on a curve. But I just think that from just an eye test, I think that was – I think they got knocked. If there was a 16-17 you know, debate in D1's April preseason projection, I feel like Ole Miss just got knocked probably because of the way they looked. And I don't find that totally unfair. Now, look. If Ole Miss is seven and what are we, seven and five after the next weekend, say they sweep or something like that, sure. they haven't moved up to a one, like to a host or whatever, then I'll probably have some problems. But the way I read into that, not that it's fair, unfair, right, wrong, or indifferent, was that they kind of got knocked for how they looked. And I can't totally argue with that. No, um, but I guess what annoys me a little bit is I get it. Ole Miss got swept at home against Tennessee, but it, and and some fans do this too. And and I again, I understand it, but the the series against Auburn. So and I guess what here's what annoys me really. Do you remember last year when they announced the twenty host teams and and why they D one kept advocating that Ole Miss shouldn't be one of them? Because you remember they announced the this group of twenty. COVID. Yeah. Do you remember why they just said that that Ole Miss was probably a back end one? And, and may not be, you know, one of the 20 selected. Do you remember what the reasoning was? Kind of, sort of, but refresh me. That they didn't win enough series, which wasn't well, I forgot a about thing. the argument. What is Ole record in SEC series this year? Two and one. It'd be two and one. So, so why does that argument not hold water this year? Again, it's April. Um, I just – I kind of take some issues with – some things D1 does. I think a lot of the things they do are great, but uh, sometimes these regional projections, for whatever reason, just piss me off. We'll see where they're at next week. He is Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. We will uh, talk to you Sunday. We'll have a ton to talk about, my friend. I can't wait. All right. Sounds good, my man. All right. That is our show. I appreciate Colin's time. As always, I appreciate you people making it to the end. Hope you enjoy Mailbag Friday. Hope you enjoyed um, – the Alabama preview. Interesting series ahead for the Rebels this weekend. I'm fascinated to see how it shakes out. We'll be back Sunday with our Sunday pod with our baseball conversation. I'll be back with normal newsletter content once your boy gets back from the beach. Um, nice and tan. Might take the shirt off. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to embarrass my friends. I've been bulking, and I don't want anyone to feel inferior when we're down at the beach. But uh, once we're back from uh, 38, we'll be recording on Sunday and uh, back to normal newsletter and podcast schedule on Monday. Y'all have a great weekend. Hopefully, it's already underway. Uh, maybe something. listen to this with something cold in your hand, doing something you enjoy, and we shall see you on Monday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.